Matthew chapter 6, 13. Friends, we're almost to the end of the Lord's Prayer study. We've been learning how to become a people of prayer. And we're going to be looking at verse 13, the first half of it this morning. But let me tell you this. Every year, the parachutist, which is the official publication of the U.S. Parachute Association, it publishes an article, you ready? Called their Fatality Summary. Hot reading. In the article, a writer analyzes the factors that contributed to parachuting deaths the previous year. You see, parachutists are classified first as students. Did you know this? And then, after 20 jumps, they get their A license. And then after 50 jumps, they get their B license. And after 100 jumps, their C license. And after 200 jumps, their D license. When their chute doesn't open, they get their F license. And that was a joke. <laughs> a night, that was terrible. I hope nobody ever is a friend of somebody that died from that. I'd be feeling terrible. In 1993, an alarming statistic was noted. And here's what I want you to hear. You ready? 59% of all parachuting deaths were suffered by elite jumpers who possessed their D license. In fact, the graph showed a dramatic spike upward for fatalities among those with 200 to 1,000 jumps. You know, I wonder if that could be true among mature Christians. In other words, do we have the tendency for those long in the tooth in Christ to become overconfident and vulnerable to our enemy? You know, temptation comes in all shapes and sizes. Guess what? I just preached to the choir. You all knew that. And a major part of prayer is asking our Heavenly Father for help to resist temptation and for protection from our enemy who roars like a lion seeking to devour us. And that captures the heart of this final petition. Would you turn to me? Look at verse 13. Here's what it says of chapter 6. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What can we possibly learn? It's so packed. I wanted to do this in two Sundays, but time would not allow it because we're embarking on our our, uh, six weeks of 25th celebration. I'm going to put it all in one, so you better listen. I want you to take your notes, your sermon outline. I don't care if you're a man. I know that's adverse to men. Take your sermon outline out, please. And write down these notes, at least get your Bible out and really look at this. Number one, we are asking in this prayer that God would not let us fall into sin. How simple is that? But let me ask you, you ready? Why do I ask you questions? Because I want you to interact. I want you to think. I don't want your minds in neutral or static. I want you to think. I want you to drive like an anchor bolt, your theology, God's theology into your life. Let me ask you this question. Does God lead his children into temptation? Now be careful. This is a very difficult verse to interpret. Let me tell you why. The answer from Scripture to that question would seem to me no. Here's what James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. That's what it says. 
So it would seem that the answer is immediately no. God cannot tempt anyone. There's nothing in God's heart that can tempt anybody. He's holy. But the counter argument is, as we're going to see more deeply in a minute, that the word temptation can also mean testing, can mean trial. So in this view, are we encouraged to pray, God, don't lead us into testing? Now, if you think the answer is yes to that, then how do you explain James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We're to be counting it joyful. That word counting means to consider, to see through the end of the trial. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Jesus would not tell us to pray against the very process of our maturity. So as you can see, this petition is difficult to understand. So we need to look a little deeper. And if we're to pray for spiritual protection as we ought, we need to understand the deeper parts of this verse. Did you know that the Greek word for what we have here is temptation? You ready? Listen. Is basically a neutral word. That comes as a surprise because if I mention the word temptation to you or you mention it to me, we automatically have a negative connotation of it. Temptation, something that none of us want. We want to avoid it. But the root meaning, and here it is, the root meaning of the word temptation, this is great, means proving. Means to prove. In its positive meaning, now listen, in its positive meaning, the scriptures translates this word with trial or testing. There's 21 times this word occurs in the New Testament, 20 of those times as trial and testing, with a positive meaning. But in its negative meaning, it is translated as temptation. What's that mean? Here it is. It's a solicitation to do evil. This one word in the Greek can have two meanings, either a difficult trial or a solicitation to do evil. So which meaning is in the mind of Jesus when he teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation? Well, in order to resolve that, we need to understand one more thing about this word. You ready? God will never, God can never, solicit us to do evil. His holiness won't allow it. There is no part of God which wants to see people sin because sin is vile to him. Now listen, please. He will test us in order to prove our faith genuine, in order to help us grow in our perseverance, which will cause us to mature. Now listen, on the other hand, Satan will, and he always will, want to see us fall. Satan never tempts us in order for us to succeed. You know that, right? So when he brings temptation, his only goal is to disprove, there's that word prove, to prove our faith faulty. To cause us to quit trusting God, to weaken our walk with Him. 
You see, God sends tests or God allows tests in order to prove our faith genuine. Satan seduces us to evil in order to prove our faith false. How do I know that? Do you remember Job? Job himself says, he who is God knows the way that I take when he has tried me. I shall come out as gold. You see, when God gives to us or allows for us a trial or a test, it's almost always used by Satan to solicit us to do evil. We could see these two thoughts even with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Look at what it says, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now listen, I'm going to ask you some questions. These aren't rhetorical. I want you to respond. Who did the leading? The Holy Spirit. Maybe we can respond a little more like a church. Who did the tempting? Wait, who did the tempting? That's why a lot of people don't respond. I've been there. Yeah, everybody's pointing to who it was. That's great. That's love. Did God know what was going to happen? Was God seducing his own son to do evil? Was God putting his son in a place where he could be tempted by the devil? The answer has to be yes. See, from God's point of view, what Jesus was about to experience was a test. From Satan's point of view, it was a solicitation to do evil. But that word is the same Greek word. You see, the the trial and the temptation profited Christ. That's what Hebrews says in chapter 5. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It says in Hebrews 4, thank God for us. He can empathize because it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, here's that exact same word, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. You want to know something interesting about Jesus Christ's temptation? C.S. Lewis brings it out masterfully. He writes this, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes, we've all been there, simply does not know what it would never, what what it would have been like an hour later in Christ because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. You see, just as a person cannot, will not grow stronger without painful exercise. We cannot grow stronger without those trials and without enduring temptation. But let me ask you a question. You ready? Suppose a child of God contracts a deadly disease. God will use that sickness. Listen, God will use that sickness as a trial. Why? In order to purify motives. So that that person looks away from the things of the earth to the things of heaven. But listen, in that same sickness, in that same experience, Satan will work to tempt that person to despair, to bitterness, to turn away from God. 
See, what God intended for his good, Satan will try to use to pull him away from God. The same is true when we get a promotion with a nice raise in salary and a higher level of authority. Or friends, how about that businessman on the seventh and last day of a long trip who checks into that final evening into the hotel? He is tired. He has worked hard. He feels he deserves to get what he wants. And all of a sudden, his eye sees that remote sitting atop of that television in adult entertainment is a push button away. Friends, listen. That man has as much sat down to the desk and picked up his number two pencil and started taking his exam. And from God's perspective, he is being put to the test. And will his faith endure from Satan's? He is being seduced so that his faith will fail. But listen, we've learned in this prayer, right? That God provides all of the daily bread we need. What's that mean? Well, he provides everything we need spiritually, physically, in order to pass the tests, in order to walk in faithful obedience to his will and bring glory to his name. But Satan whispers, that he deserves to push that button. Nobody's going to know. You're going to get what you want. See, Satan blinds us to the misery that we're going to feel afterward and fixes our eyes on the pleasure of the moment. God intends trials to build us up. Satan makes them temptations to tear us down. In order to pray, lead us not into temptation. We need to know we're we're requesting that God will not let Satan seduce us to the point where we fall, but that we will walk in the strength that he provides through that trial. Lord, keep us from falling to the devil's temptations. Build our faith is what we're praying Because we cling to the truth that God never, ever brings us into a situation with the intention that we should fail. But that our enemy always wants us to morally fail. So we need the Lord's guiding. We need his protection. We need his leading. You see, the Jews understood this. Did you know that? The Jews had a prayer that they would pray every evening before they went to bed. You want to know what it sounded like? Here's what it said, and I quote, Lead me not into the power of transgression." And bring me not into the power of sin and not into the power of iniquity and not into the power of temptation and not into the power of anything shameful. We pray, Lord, spare us from those temptations that you know we cannot withstand and let us emerge from your trials having proven our faith genuine. But that's not the only thing we learn. The verse goes on in here. Look what it says, but deliver us from evil. What are we praying when we pray, deliver us from evil? What we're doing is we're asking that God would rescue us from the devil. Friends, listen, apart from the grace of God, do you agree with me? Apart from his grace that enables us to walk through trials, we will fail. Are you in a trial right now? Is your faith being tested? 
Are you undergoing massive temptations that you just seem to continually fail and succumb to? We're praying, but deliver us from evil because none of us is above falling into massive sin. None of us is above walking away from God. You know, Charles Spurgeon shared a real-life story of two men who were condemned to die under Queen Mary for their religious convictions. Because they were following the gospel, they were going to be martyred. And one of the men boasted loudly to all of his companions in prison that he would be a man at the stake. Because he was so grounded in the gospel, he would never, ever deny Christ. And he longed, he longed for his martyrdom as the bride's long for their wedding days. But his fellow prisoner was a poor, trembling soul who, though he didn't want to deny his Lord, he was terrified of the fire. And he spent his days asking for prayer. He spent his days weeping over his weaknesses and he cried to God continually for strength. And when they both came to the stake, The strong, boastful man saw the torches used to light the fires and he recanted of his faith in Christ on the spot while the trembling man stood firm as a rock, praising God as he died in the flames. It's a true story. You see, our enemy, friends, is crafty. He's powerful. He wants to destroy us. And some of our Bible translations have evil here, but deliver us from evil. Some will have an asterisk to say evil one. But the grammatical construction of this verse, friends, almost always points and refers to a specific person rather than an abstract idea. The best translation simply is evil one. And Peter writes about him. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is a prayer request for God to rescue us from Satan and his forces. But I want to share something with you this morning. This is beautiful. There's a lot in that word deliver that is not apparent at first glance. It means more than just to rescue or save someone from danger. Now listen to this. Ready? You might think this is small, but it's profoundly powerful. More than just rescuing or saving someone from danger, it means to draw to oneself. Here's what it means. God delivers us. God saves us. But listen, not just to bring us away from the danger, but he delivers us and he saves us to bring us to himself. Now listen, pretend you pull up to a home to visit a friend. And before you can even get out of the car, here comes a huge, ferociously barking dog. Two things might happen. You ready? You tell me which one you'd rather have happen. First, your friend can holler out the window and tell the dog to stop barking and not eat the guest. Or... Your friend can come out to where you are, heal the dog, and then walk you into their home. 
Friends, this is a picture of what God does for his children as he delivers them through trials, delivers them through temptations, from danger. The Bible calls the evil one Satan or the devil. Did you know that both titles have the same basic meaning? The meaning is one who separates. Did you know that, that the name devil and Satan means one who separates? See, temptation is meant by Satan to draw us away, ironically, from one another. Have you ever seen anybody deep in sin, love community, love fellowship, open their lives up in transparency? They don't do that. We don't do that. Temptation, Satan wants to draw us away from each other, and he wants to draw us away from God where he can then easily defeat us. But in this prayer, deliver deliver us from the evil one. We're asking God to draw us, to drag us, the word means, away from Satan and bring us to his own side. In other words, asking God to deliver us from the evil one is to ask him to rescue us by bringing us to him in a closer, more trusting relationship. Because in our own strength, we're going to lose. We're too weak. Our flesh is too strong, but God works in us to strengthen us, to emerge us victorious so that we pass the test and prove our faith genuine. By the way, do you remember those haunting, haunting words of Christ to Peter in Luke chapter 22? Here's what he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know, if I could paraphrase this, here's what I think it says. It says, Peter, my father is letting a trial come to you, and Satan, he's going to toss you in a whirlwind. He's going to try to destroy your faith. He's going to tempt you severely. He's going to separate you from me. But I have prayed that your faith will endure and not fail. I want you to succeed. I want you to pass the test. And you will, Peter. And when you do, strengthen the faith of your brothers. But friends, did Peter fail? He did. He denied Christ three times. If you know the story, he wanted to quit ministry. He went back to fishing, something that he was good at. But Christ restored him so completely that one day Peter would write with full experience of convictions these words, we who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while he knew what he was talking about. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray we are weak. Rescue us from Satan and bring us to your side. But let me share one more point this morning. I think this is a truth that lies below the surface of the ground. And if we're not diligent in digging for it, we're going to miss. 
And that third point, that final point is simply this. We are asking in this prayer. Listen, you ready? That God would protect other Christians. You see, we've been seeing all through this prayer, this is a family prayer. There is no I, me, or my in this prayer. There's our, we, and us. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But you know, Christ could have taught his disciples to pray this prayer and learn the principles found in it for themselves. If he did, you want to know what it would have sounded like? Here it is. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my debts as I also have forgiven my debtors and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. But see, Jesus didn't teach it that way. He uses the language of community. There's a principle here that is powerful. We've got to learn it. I participate. Ready? Listen. I participate in keeping you from falling to temptation. I participate in keeping your faith from failing. And you participate in keeping my faith from failing. We have a pastor in our district who served on my ordination council. An intelligent, learned man, he always had the sharpest, deepest, most difficult theological answers to the questions. Who was just asked to leave his church because it was discovered that he was having an affair with five different women. Now listen, you might think that his church during this time was floundering and limping along. But friends, listen, that church was growing. They were planting other churches. Things from the outside looked great. So let's just get beyond the superficial. Ready? Can you do this with me? Let's get real. Let's admit to one another we sin and we sin badly. You're looking at a man who has sinned badly even recently, who has had to plead for forgiveness and hold my feet out to Christ to be cleaned. And I'm looking at a lot of people that I know did as well. We are tempted some days, friends, to the point where the battle consumes every bit of who we are. And when we fall to temptation, we tend to carry the burden of shame alone, hating ourselves for what we did, and growing more and more hopeless that we will ever be victorious. And knowing this, we've got to begin battling on our knees for one another against our enemy. We need to pray fervently for one another's protection. But I want to share something. I want to close this with a story from the Old Testament. This is exciting. I never quite saw it as vividly as I did when I began preparing for this sermon. This is a story about Israel, whose king at that time was Jehoshaphat. And he was in trouble. The whole Israelite people were in trouble. You see, the Ammonites, listen, the Ammonites and the Moabites were moving a vast army toward Jerusalem. They're on their way. And Israel's getting all these reports of the vastness of this army, the incredible 
how, how incredibly well armed they were. And they all knew that the men of Israel could not withstand the coming onslaught. Now watch what happens. Ready? The king called for a nationwide fast and families, men, women, and children from every town and village gathered in Jerusalem to seek the Lord. And King Jehoshaphat stood before all of them. And he offered what is one of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture. And he began this prayer by declaring God's greatness. Now listen, this is incredible. If you want to learn how to endure the trials that God brings, you want to learn how to emerge out of the temptations that your enemy is going to want to bring against you, this is a key, key point. So he declared God's greatness and then he reminded God, we could do this of the promises that he made to protect his people. Then he told God, God, paraphrase, we're in big trouble. I hate to see what Eileen would have said. And he admitted their powerlessness to face this army. So what does God do? He sends a prophet. And the prophet tells the people to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now this is unbelievable. This is the best part of the story in my opinion. So here's what King Jehoshaphat does. Wouldn't it be what Pastor Dim does? Because it doesn't seem to make sense. But I'm learning. He takes all of the male singers. And he puts them in front of the army in full uniform. And he leads the army towards the coming battle. And the, and the singers began to sing. And they began to praise the Lord. And all of a sudden... From God's own hand, the invading army began to turn against one another and battled with each other all the way to the point of their utter destruction. Friends, the battle was won by the Lord and not a single arrow of Israel fired. Is it any wonder then why the Lord's prayer ends right after this verse? With the thought of for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a note of praise. You want to endure temptation? Begin singing out to God in praise of his greatness. And he will lift you. He will deliver you. He will bring you to his side with power. That your faith would succeed and not fail. And that the evil one will not separate you from him. That's the biblical. That's the redemptive solution to temptation, and it's right in the Lord's prayer. We're going to become a people of prayer. Then you're going to begin praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is so powerful. It is so appropriate. It is so applicable to our lives. All of us struggle with trials, and we struggle with temptation. But Lord, we know that you have the power to defeat our enemy. And Lord, you deliver us, you rescue us, you save us. But Lord, you do it by bringing us to your side. Lord, may we come to you. May we worship you. May we sing out your praises as we come to your side. May we watch and get the privilege of seeing you defeat the enemy and endure us through it. I pray that we would pray for one another, God, that we would battle for each other on our knees, that we become a people who know how to pray for the faith of one another. And we take that seriously.
And we ask for your help in this and in Jesus' name, amen.